This is episode 148 of the IDRA Class Notes podcast. It's very important that these families come together around the education of their children, but that they not be somebody lecturing them about it, even with the best of intentions. What you don't want to do is have them look to an expert or to an outsider or anybody. All information is useful and they always want more information. But what you have to keep your eye on is the relationship they have with each other. You have to strengthen that relationship, allow it, and have plenty of critical conversations that they will have to deal with. Hi, and welcome to IDRA's Class Notes podcast. This is Dr. Sofia Baena, Education Associate at IDRA, and today we will be continuing our conversation about the Comunitario PTAs. Welcome back, Aurelio. Hi, Sofia. And would you please remind our listeners what a Comunitario PTA is and what some of those essential components are? Well, you know, we have a very exciting project going on right now in these new models of family engagement. Even though it is officially a PTA, our model has certain elements that are very important. Obviously, one dramatic difference is that these are not school-based, but they start in a community organization, in a grassroots organization. And that's the first part. That's probably the most difficult initial thing to do, is to find a base, an organization that can support a group of parents that are very concerned about the education of their children and want to have excellent neighborhood public schools. Then, once the organization is established, the next major step is then to establish a relationship with a school, with a campus, with a school district. And, in fact, it is a formal relationship. An agreement is signed between the community organization and the school that there will be a relationship, there will be an organization. In some cases, the principal signs off on an agreement. Uh, in other cases, it's less formal. But anyway, there is a relationship. And parents visit those schools. They have children there, although not all members have to have children on the campus. But it is a community-based relationship between the neighborhood, the families, and the school. Then the real proof or the laboratory for leadership, remember this, all this comes from our family leadership and education model that has been developing for the last 35 years, and the proof is in a project, but project in a sense very different to a traditional PTA fund collection kind of project. This is something that emerges out of the data and the information these parents receive. Uh, here in Texas, for example, we have a website where parents can visit and see how their schools are doing. And we've established it in such a way that parents can look at data, look at information, and see what interests them or what is going on in their schools that would trigger some action, either to look for further information or to do something about it. The idea of a family leadership and education project precedes our PTA experience. And as we've seen in other important family leadership programs around the country, whether it's Parent Leadership Institute out of Kentucky or PK out of California, parents taking action is very important. And in our case, we focus especially on those parents that are not considered to be the ones that would be the leaders for the, because they're poor or they live in a rural area or they don't speak English. Our experience has been that these parents care intensely about the education of their children and when provided the right information and opportunity, will want to do something about it. The projects, as we call them, emerge from actionable data and related issues of concern to families. 
it is an opportunity for every individual to practice some sort of leadership, whether it is to visit a campus, to ask questions, to, to sit around the table and discuss what they find. It is usually a committee, a group. There's rotating leadership. There's different responsibilities. There is reporting back to the group in terms of the information that they collect, what happens when they visit a campus. It is, as I said, a laboratory for leadership for the group. We, we stress collective leadership, rotating leadership. We uh, find ways to support the parents in analyzing data, taking action, anything that makes them active participants in creating excellent public schools. Can you share with us an example of what some of that data is and what some of those projects are? Well, yeah, there is right now great concern in Texas because we have a new set of graduation requirements under House Bill 5. We're in the second year of that new mandate. And what happened with it is we had already had a very strong curricular focus on the 4 by 4 In other words, 80% of our graduating, high school graduating seniors, were graduating with four years of English, four years of math. In other words, they were college ready. But then this notion was that these kids needed more choice, that many of them were college material. So with the new rules and the new loosening of the requirements, in a sense, these parents are very concerned because they're poor, they're of color, they're recent immigrant, and they know that schools don't consider generally their kids to be college material, and they want them to be considered college material. So now they form committees to go and, first of all, find out how kids are being scheduled in the eighth grade for their ninth grade year. Are they taking algebra one? Will they be placed in algebra two? It's really ironic because as people are now saying college is not for everybody, they're looking at these very children and from these neighborhoods, and the schools are passing on a, a deficit notion of these children. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of them even say, you know, you're giving them bad expectations because they really are not college material, and it's unfair to these children. Well, if you talk to these ladies, we have six PTAs in the Valley right now, and last September we had a, a conference of all these PTAs. We had 90, 90 people in the room. And as I was starting to talk to them, I asked them, how many of you want your children to be college prepared when they graduate from high school? Instantly, every hand went up. I mean, there was no second thought, nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing because 90% of the people in that room are probably considered poor, economically disadvantaged. Most of them don't speak English. They have very little college experience themselves. And yet... The direction they want to go in is that they want schools to prepare their kids for college. And how have they communicated that to schools? Well, in many different ways. Individually, they've gone there and and see how their kids are getting scheduled, how their students are getting scheduled, what courses they're being given. They're going in committees and asking uh, counselors and principals Mm -hmm. how they're approaching uh, counseling students. Are they putting them in a track that prepares them for college? What's going to happen with Algebra 2? Because under the new loosened regulations, they're going to have what they call our applied courses. And the danger there is that we're going to go back to Mickey Mouse math and all that kind of stuff that we used to have when we had voc ed and things like that, so that the parents are checking for high expectations. They're checking for actual courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they themselves are becoming quite clear on, on what a core curriculum would look like to be college prepared. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about how they, the parents identified this as one of their projects to take on? Yes. When the House bill was being passed and the word was getting out this is going to happen, they got very concerned and they were called us. They, they were asking around saying, what's going to happen? Uh, is this going to affect our children? And once it became law, it became clear to them. In fact, 
one lady who's the president of one of the community centers went with her child last year. The, the son was an eighth grader, and they sat down with a counselor who was explaining what's going to happen next year in the ninth grade. And she said, I'd like to be there when you schedule my child. And they said, no, you cannot be here. And what really hit hard for her was that she was the only parent in that room that was even objecting to that. And mm -hmm. she's, of course, very competent, very prepared. She has more education than most of the ladies that are in that organization. She is fully bilingual. And she had to really push to make sure that her child, as a freshman, had the courses she wanted him to have. She ended up getting what she wanted for her child. But her concern is how many of the families will defend themselves against counselors who are saying, well, we know better than you do, or mm -hmm. it's what we're going to do. And what they started noticing was that school, because they would not have all the teachers certified, required for all children to be on the, on the college track, they're trying to figure out how to schedule them and assuming that large numbers of these children really should not be in a college track anyway. And so that's signaling to these parents. We had three parents report at that conference I told you about last September where they were from three different communities, three completely different school districts, and they were reporting very similar kinds of problems. One lady had to make five appointments to see a counselor to make sure her daughter had Algebra one as a freshman. She even had to talk to the principal. Wow. They're finding that as they had feared the prejudice of the district towards a neighborhood, towards an area, towards a certain kind of family, is showing itself in how they are treating these children mm -hmm. so that their fears are confirmed. At first, they just thought this might happen. Well, now it is happening. One lady went to the school board and asked them to have meetings early in the semester to explain this to parents because they weren't planning to do something till late fall or early winter. Mm -hmm. They said by then the kid has already been in class for several months and it's going to be hard to change their schedule if you want it changed. If you were to give advice to anyone wanting to start this up, what would you give to them? First of all, what's very important is the relationship people build with each other. You start a PTA that is housed in a community organization that has strong relationship in that community. As people come together on the issue of the education of their children, please notice the communication that every meeting it has is rich with conversation, that there's questions thrown out and there's critical analysis of families of, of what they want to do, what their vision is. It's very important that they cement this relationship, that these families come together around the education of their children, but that they did not be somebody lecturing them about it, even in the, with the best of intentions. What you don't want to do is have them look to an expert or to, to an outsider or anybody. All information is useful and they always want more information. But what you have to keep your eye on is the relationship they have with each other. You have to strengthen that relationship, allow it, and have plenty of critical conversations, small group discussions, people taking turns reporting their conversations, uh, posing open-ended questions that they will have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for school leaders and how they should engage parents? Yes, they should trust parents' thinking, ask open-ended questions, and listen to what parents have to say. Assume that they want the best for their children, Assume that they want their kids to have as many benefits as any white middle-class kid in, in a suburban area gets, that whatever their educational background, whatever their economic status, they want the best for their children. Assume that, but also listen carefully to what they say. Great. Well, thank you very much, Aurelio. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. 
For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.